Welcome to Pigs with Lasers, podcast number two. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Pigs started. with Lasers, the only podcast about pigs. With, with lasers. lasers. With lasers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so here we are for episode two of our podcast. Uh, we're uh, going to talk today. We're going to circle back and go into some of the more, um, uh, the developments that have occurred over the last week, some of the decisions, uh, game decisions that are being made. Um, I'll touch real quick on corporate stuff. Frankly, we've made no progress uh, other than thought, thinking about it. We're waiting for uh, our, our friends at Wells Fargo to get back with us so that the account is set up so that we can fund it and begin dealing with the things that need to happen. But that doesn't mean that activities aren't going on. I know Reed is, is um, looking at getting the, uh, um, uh, the various domains and, and uh, all the things he's going to need to get set up. So hopefully he's just chomping at the bit to get started. So yeah. We'll get mean, there soon. We just need the account open so that we can put a little bit of starting funds in the account so that we can buy domains so that we can set up email accounts yeah. so that we can use those email accounts to open up social media accounts without using, you know, yeah. throwaway emails or personal emails or anything. And then yeah. once that structure is set up, we'll be ready to start posting things like this on a YouTube account or mm -hmm. um, posting things to different gaming subreddits, indie gaming subreddits once we have prototypes and stuff like that. So. Cool. That's so that's kind of the corporate update for now. There's not a whole lot. Um, again, over uh, as we as we kind of move forward, make sure uh, like and subscribe um, yeah. down in the corner here, wherever that is. That. And also, um, if you have any questions uh, about any part or any aspect of what it takes to start uh, a game design studio company, how all of the aspects <laughs> from a business side, all of the aspects from the decisions that are being made by Logan now as to how the game works, what he's willing to do, able to do, why he wants to make those decisions. Um, as you hear him talking about them, please leave your comments and questions and we'll try to address those in future episodes. So with that, I think, um, Keith, you got, uh, you got some, some areas you want to touch on first to get us started? Yeah, I, uh, you know, my background is as a, a fiction writer, uh, like all of my education and training is in fiction and reading and understanding story comprehension. And uh, I don't really know anything about, about video game development or um, storytelling from uh, the aspect of, of like game design, I guess. And uh, when I'm telling a story, when I'm writing a piece of fiction, I can start from any point. I can choose a character or a setting uh, or any number of other things, I can bin, begin my story that way and I can build plot from those or begin with just plot itself. Uh, and I was kind of wondering what, uh, in your experience, the driving factor is for video game design. Is it purely artistic? Is it like conceptual? Um, is it like market driven? I, I will put a disclaimer out there that I'm not like some end-all be-all of game design knowledge or game development <laughs> knowledge. Like I'm definitely learning myself and that's kind of the point of why we're doing this. But from my industry knowledge and my experience, um, it's, it's kind of like a really wide net to cast, right? When you talk about why people create video games and what the motivation are behind them. Um, there's just so many different types of games, right? It's sort of like music and movies and every other form of entertainment in that way, you know, even literature and stuff. Um, you know, why someone writes poetry might be different from why somebody writes like a mystery novella, 
right? Or something like that. Like, it's just very different, right? So you're going to have groups of people like us who are just like, I really want to build the game that I want to play and I'm going to try to make it because uh, I think it would be really fun, right? And you try to do that grassroots kind of thing. Then you've got large, large studios, publishers, corporations who are thinking, well, it doesn't make sense for us to develop a game just on a whim, right? So let's try to do some market research and figure out like, what is what do we think is hot right now? What do we think is going to resonate with you know, a certain target audience? And, and that's a good thought experiment to have for any game project. Even if you're starting in a grassroots like us, you should always think like, who am, who am I making this game for? And if the answer is I'm making this game for me and my friends, that's fine. But if you plan on selling the game and making a bunch of money on it and hopefully like developing your own studio and your own practices, then maybe you should start to think a little broader than that and think, okay, the larger market is these types of people who like these types of games who are going to connect with these types of mechanics and starting to combine those things and hopefully a product that is marketable to a lot of different people and becomes popular. Um, let me, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but just listening to what you're saying, especially around the studio side, yeah. do you have any, um, any anecdotes or, or uh, specific scenarios that you've encountered that you want to talk about from your past as to how a big studio can kind of see something in the market, but not be able to execute <laughs> on it as, as rapidly as possibly they need to? Um, I feel like you're bringing this up for a very specific reason. <laughs> I, I'm just asking <laughs> what you're you. Uh, give yourself some stories, um, you know, of what you've seen. I've seen, I don't, I won't go into too many specifics because I feel like that could be a rant, but I have told you stories where I've seen the publisher that I used to work at, Hyrule Studios, the game developer and publisher, they had a lot of opportunities, a lot of cool opportunities. They've done a lot of cool stuff. Um, and there are definitely some opportunities that, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, right? Like, yeah. It's, it's not, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect and you have to capitalize on everything perfectly, but you know. I think there have been so several fairly public times when they had an opportunity, golden opportunity in their hands, and it slips through for one reason or the other. And, you know, that can happen to anyone, but it, it definitely, you know, you never know what's going to happen with game development. It's very right. agile. It's very tumultuous. You know? Well, and it's driven by public perception. So it's driven by if somebody makes, uh, does something right. to upset the apple cart, very quickly you can lose your, your, right. your public support and then exactly. you're dead. Exactly. Right? It's very community driven and it's internet driven, especially now that video games are distributed through the internet primarily. There are large communities of social media and different Discord and, and Reddit and Twitter. They'll grow around these games, um, people playing the games, people sharing things from the game to each other, creating fan art, creating fan content, and basically just like rallying around this thing as a hobby that everyone likes. And that's really awesome and powerful, but it can also be like, you basically have a lot to live up to as a developer because then you've got you know hundreds of thousands or millions or even a couple dozen people who have played your game and are saying oh dude it needs to be like this but if that doesn't match up with the way that you want it to be then you've got to either make some compromises or say that's the way i want it to be and if it fails, well, it fails. well that clearly shows though the artistic aspect of this whether you're writing a novel mm -hmm. keith or whether you're making a, a movie or you're making a, a record album, right? I mean, mm -hmm. think about how many bands, you know, that had a great first album, and then they have the quote unquote sophomore slump, yeah. right? And the reason they have it is because they're artists and they're trying to stretch their legs and do what they really envisioned to do, but maybe their audience was like, well, no, no, I really like that crypt pocket full of kryptonite song. I don't want you to do something else, right? 
And so that, you know, I know you probably don't want to get into that specific example, but you you'd shared with me an example of uh, exactly, I think, the, the scenario where you come down, Keith, on the two sides of it. Are you, um, are you doing it for the passion of doing it and maybe you make money or are you doing it specifically to make money? And, the, and if you're a studio, by definition, you're doing it to make money. And the problem becomes once you put something out there, it's, it's out right. there and, and, and you, you don't just get to drive it. It's like when a, sure. a guy does find, develops a movie, right? When he releases it, it's done. That's what it is. And so the problem here is when you start to release and, and then decide you want to change things, maybe you alienate yeah. people. I mean, I, I think that's why I relate it to entertainment, other entertainment products a lot is because it is kind of like that where when you're working with a small team or small development studio, or self-funded or you know you have a certain set of constraints where you're allowed to do whatever you want right and so you're going to create the game you want to create and the larger you become the more people you bring onto the team the more investment you get the larger these projects become the more you can't fail right it's not that then games certainly do fail but it becomes i don't want to say it becomes more about the money because there are certainly teams that are really large every single person on that team is passionate about games and creating games but from the studio's perspective is we've got to make this game as good as it can be to make as much money as it can be because yeah. we're spending tens of millions of dollars on developing this title we can't just like take a bet that yeah. like this weird experimental thing maybe is a success right so um it definitely becomes more I like i would yeah but whatever what's that <laughs> I feel like that was a jab at me. This weird experimental thing. I write experimental. No, no, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I just, I just feel like that's what I, that's what, you know, back to your original question, Keith, like when you're talking about developing a world and developing characters and where do you start with a video game, that's kind of ties into this of like, if it's you and me making a video game, we can start wherever the hell we want. We can write it and I can take one of your books or one of your narratives and we can just make a game based off of that. But I guarantee you, if you wrote a fictional narrative and took it to a studio publisher and were just like, hey, I want to make this into a video game. Will you give me $50 million to do it? They'd be like, yeah, no. no, right? You would have yeah. to have a fully fleshed out vertical slice with, with business research and, and, and a market plan and stuff like that to like sell somebody on the idea of like, okay, let's invest a serious amount of money behind this. There's a lot of interest in this product. Let's go with it, right? So that's just kind of the world and the, the scope of the, the industry of like working with these massive AAA teams down to a couple of dudes in their garage. I, I think the point I was trying to make was to, to an extension of what you talked about last episode, which is, is in the, it, there's nothing wrong with being part of a big studio, yeah. right? And there's some great studios out there, but it's, you, you become a cog in the machine right. versus when you are building your own artistic vision and you have full control of it. But I will say the benefit, and I, I want to make it clear, the benefit to being at a large studio is that you're going to be able to do things that no smaller studio will ever be able to do. Oh, like Unless the motion capture thing. Like the talking. motion capture thing that I was talking about. Uh, I, I watch Brackies. He's a, a really well-known YouTuber uh, for Unity who actually stopped doing YouTube, uh, I think, earlier this year, which is really sad. But he, he, for several years, he was a really amazing uh, Unity tutorial YouTuber. And I watched one of his videos on motion capture, um, where a motion capture company lent him out a suit to use for one of his videos. It was like a $30,000 suit or something like that. Um, something that's totally unobtainable for normal small teams, because you may not have that kind of funding, especially not for something like that. Yeah. Um, 
And he was able to take the suit and basically run around with his friend and jump off some stuff and do some movements and import those animations directly into Unity on a rig. And he had an animated character running around in like an hour, right? With like yeah. really complex backflip animations and like things that might take an animator days to work out, right? A really skilled animator several right. days to really, to nail. And it had really fluid and realistic movements. And I remember commenting to you like, damn, if, you know, if I had one of those suits, we could just roll around outside for 20 minutes and have all the animations that we needed for our game. Um, but that's kind of like the difference between working at one of these large studios who will either hire a motion capture company to, you know, rent the suit yeah. whenever you need it, or maybe they have one of these suits themselves for their animation team and they can just crank out, you know, if, if you're doing that type of game that does, you know, normal humanoid animation, you can crank out tons of animations that way. But I guess What's I, up, would, Keith? I was just going to throw it out there, man. If anybody from unity is listening and wants to like <laughs> throw us a suit so we can roll around. In them. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't you. You want to roll around in it. I forget uh, which company, sorry it was, but it, it wasn't unity specifically. It wasn't their suit, but it was a company that made a motion capture suit and software, I think was the main part of the cost of their I, I think what I'd add, though, for our viewers is that that that's an example of an asset that you're not going to get access to unless you're at a big studio yeah. or, to your point, a very popular YouTuber or whatever that, that gets a, a loaner. Unless, and this is what I want people to understand, it's it's come to my attention. I'm amazed at how many things are out there for rent or for right. lease. Like if yeah. you want to go render some yeah. kick-ass VFX, right. you don't have to own a kick-ass machine. There are render farms out there right. that you can just, all you have to have is be able to upload your raw stuff. And right. Jeremy does that all the time and, and, yeah. and render, use a render farm to get stuff to come out faster. And it's reasonably sure. priced. So I would imagine just like uh, Jeremy and I, for a, another project, we had rented a, a high-end uh, movie camera or, yeah. or, or a recording camera. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is those things are out there. And you can yeah. get them. I would imagine if you looked online, whatever the name of this thing, mm -hmm. I bet there's a place where you can rent one of these motion captures I for mean, a day or a week for yeah. some reasonable price. No, for sure. Without going into too much detail, the animation team a lot, they, they hired a, a studio out in LA and the studio, they basically talked to these guys uh, and would say, Hey, we need to, we, 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 they'd pick out actors and they'd mm -hmm. say, we want you guys to do these movements. People would submit like tapes of them doing movements and dances and stuff. And they'd pick the ones they want and then those actors would go into the studio put on the suit and they'd rent out the studio for like a day or two and then they'd capture like hundreds of animations and then they'd take those back in the studios and they'd have the animators tweak the keyframes mm -hmm. to make it look the way that we wanted for the game but like 90 percent of the movement is there right and and in that way they were able to generate really high quality like emotes and and movements and and stuff go ahead I I have a question. Uh, yeah. So, like, going back to this idea between like corporate and independent, yeah. Um, like, obviously, like you had an idea uh, just for a game, uh, sure. or like you know, we we talked about like the concept mm -hmm. or where it came from uh, yeah. last time. But you know, um, it was there wasn't like really anything. Like, what you built from it was a game that you wanted to develop. Like personally, like I like point and click adventure games, sure. uh, but they're not very popular, so there aren't very many of them. Uh, so, like, how did you make the decision? for what type of game to start developing? I would say on your note of point and click adventures, I feel like there's actually like a decent amount of point and click adventure games out there. Like there's a decent- What's amount. the point and click adventure? It's just fully 2D. You just 
well, sometimes they're 3D, but like you, you point and you click at a certain thing and the character walks over and interacts with the thing and some text pops up and it tells a story. It's not a very mechanics heavy. It's not very, you're not controlling the character and jumping around and doing crazy things. You're just walking around a scene and inspecting things. So is it is a Zork with Zork with yes, graphics? Yes, with graphics. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a Maniac Mansion or Monkey yeah. Island. Mist? Wasn't Mist one like that? Mist is similar, except you did walk around in that one. You actually had a character controller, very basic. And there's okay. more games. Like, uh, I forget what, there was a spiritual successor to that one uh, that was also very popular not too long ago. Right, I would say that there's a decent market for that if that's something you're interested in, but personally, I mean, those are those are fun experiences. I'll play through them, but it's not really the type of thing that I'm interested in making. And honestly, I kind of we were kind of thinking about this before anyone else was involved in the project, so this is kind of like me and Raid Reed's little brainchild in terms of game design. But we were thinking like what kind of game would we want to play? Specifically, I was thinking like, man, what, what kind of game would I want to play if I had a controller in my hand and I had a character on the screen, like what would I want to do with it? What would be fun to do? Um, and we, we thought back to a lot of the games that we used to play on Xbox and PlayStation 2, um, things like Republic Commando, you know, shooter games with Deathmatch, and we would just spend all day Spy versus Spy playing these little competitive games that are just local multiplayer fun games. And... I started to think, well, what if you had a character moving, jumping around, very fluid movement, but you were also um, like shooting a little bit, but, but it's not like... It's not the focus. It's not the focus shooter. of the game. Is not to be a shooter. It's not to be a hyper-competitive like third-person shooter or something. And I had this kind of concept idea in my head, and I started to write things down for it, and that's kind of before Reed brought up Team Buddies, and I wasn't mm -hmm. sure exactly... I had kind of a loose idea in my head, but I, I hadn't nailed it down. And then he brought up Team Buddies, and I was like, oh. Then you layer on the crafting mechanic from Team Buddies, and then I found more references for movement and more references for shooting, and I was like, okay, it's going to move like this. It's going to shoot like this. It's going to craft. It's going to have a core game loop of this. And then in my head, I was like, oh, that looks – that makes sense, right? All these different pieces combine into something that I can wrap my head around, and I know how to make each individual component of it in unity right so that's when i really was like oh i could do this right and then we had reed jump on with also wanting to help out with level design and, and general game design keith jump on with wanting to help out with narrative and world building and stuff like that and jeremy jump on with wanting to help out with 3d modeling and animation and we've just been able to kind of piece together little pieces of this so far uh, and, and i think we have like a much more cohesive vision of what we're working on now but in terms of design for pigs with lasers um, it pulls from, I think, two to three major, I would say two major uh, inspirations. inspirations. So the first in terms of character movement and core game functionality is Ratchet and Clank, the whole Ratchet and Clank series. So I know you guys may not know them. Keith, do you know them? Yeah, I know them. Okay, so Keith knows them. Dad doesn't know anything about them. It's an old game that came out I think on PlayStation 2 is when they started coming out. They're, they're pretty old at this point. I think like 2002 was like the first Ratchet and Clank game. And there have been like half a dozen Ratchet and Clank games at this point. The latest one came out. They rebooted it in 2016 with all new graphics for the PS4. They also released a movie um, alongside it. And there was kind of like this movie game tie-in thing. And it was really cool. Um, it was a really fun game. And they're making another one uh, right now. But essentially what Ratchet and Clank is, is it's a it's an pl action platformer. 3D action platformer that focuses on uh, 
crazy weapons and guns and gadgets, right? So you've got your Super Mario 64, which is running around in the 3D space, jumping, double jumping, wall jumping, basically doing platformer stuff. Right, mm-hmm. you've got it goes all the way to Act Two Mario okay. with two D platformers running forward. I played that. Sure, sure, sure. That is called a platformer game, right? So, the challenge of the game comes from jumping on different types of platforms, avoiding obstacles, dunking on, jumping on enemies, that sort of thing. That is the core of a platformer game. That was later translated into three D as a three D platformer game with Super Mario sixty four, Donkey Kong sixty four, Banjo Kazooie, some of these other uh, Spyro Enter the Dragon. Right, so like, or maybe not that specific Spyro, but uh, I think it's Dragonfly. But Spyro games and a lot of other like GameCube, PS1, PS2 style games were the first Nintendo 64, PS1. Like that's when 3D started to happen, mm-hmm. and they started making these 3D uh, platformers, right? So you got 3D characters running around the world, moving platforms. Uh, and it's basically the same thing. You're jumping across platforms. You're solving puzzles. You're jumping on the heads of enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, some games started to add, maybe you shoot a little gun forward and it's a special ability or something. And they started to add little mechanics here and there. Um, I'm thinking Ty, Tasmanian Tiger, I think was the name of the game. He had a boomerang. And then you've got Tack, which was like a really obscure GameCube game. There's also Attack 2. These are all games that are based around a 3D character in the world, jumping, double jumping, ground pounding, using those basic core movement mechanics of a platformer in a 3D environment. Then you had Ratchet and Clank, which came along and had all of those things. You could run, you could jump, you could double jump. It felt fluid, but then you've also got your gun, right? And they've got these crazy sci-fi, exactly what we're going for, sci-fi over-the-top weapons where you've got like the discombobulator or whatever. They've got like dozens of different weapons in their game and they all do crazy things like launch grenades and, and turn people into sheep and do weird, wacky things, but it was still centered around this action platformer movement where you were jumping, you were double Did jumping. They literally you have something that turns somebody into yeah, a sheep. Yeah. It's okay, called the Sheepinator. It's called it's called All the right, Sheepinator. Cool. Right? So that weapon's called the Sheepinator. It's really interesting. So but but the idea is they combine kind of third person shooting with this action platformer, but it has less emphasis on the third person shooting because most third person shooters, you've got the camera up and behind the character and slightly offset behind the shoulder. If you're, if you're talking about like Fortnite or some of these other like really like, I want to say competitive third person shooters. And when you ADS or aim down sights on your weapon, it it goes in tighter on your character. And all you really see is like the character's shoulders and head and weapon. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of shoot it wherever you're aiming. But Ratchet and Clank was centered behind the character. So it wasn't offset on the shoulder. And you just kind of shot wherever your cursor was in the center of the screen. Mm-hmm. And the weapons were so wild and so crazy that like, it was less about, I'm gonna frag this guy and get like mm-hmm. a perfect headshot. And it was more like, I'm gonna shoot 50 million projectiles and it's gonna hit something. And I'm gonna do a double jump backflip while I'm doing it. And it was just like really fun, cartoony mayhem, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like, if you could take that core concept and move it to a multiplayer space because they had multiplayer modes in some of the ratchet and clanks but they weren't they weren't quite there right Mm -hmm. like they had i think two times they attempted to make a multiplayer mode and they just did too much they just made huge levels with way too complex mechanics and i remember watching a video of it with reed and we went like 11 minutes without seeing anyone fight 
because they were running around to different points on the map and collecting resources and doing XYZ. And I was like, when are they going to fight? Like, <laughs> and they fought for like 30 <laughs> seconds and then it was over. And I was like, they just never found that. They never put players in a situation where, you know, they could really make that combat shine. So my idea was like, well, let's take that movement of Ratchet and Clank um, and some other action platformer games. Let's combine it with this crafty mechanic of Team Buddies, which is what I mentioned in the last podcast and what I've talked about before. Team Buddies is an old PlayStation 1 game that uh, is kind of like a cult classic, I want to say. It's like $500 like the, to buy it today. It's like insanely expensive. Um, so if you want to play it, you probably have to download a ROM of it. But it's this game where it's, a, it's more of a top-down view. Um, and you run around as these little pill body characters and you pick up boxes in the center of the map. You just go, you pick up a box, you take it back to your base and you've got a two by two crafting square. You got two by two um, kind of pad. And you place the boxes on this pad and they link up in different ways. And depending on which ways you place the boxes, whether it's two horizontal, two vertical, uh, two horizontal, two vertical, uh, four, mm -hmm. you know, and, and depending on what layout you lay them in and then destroy the boxes, different things will drop out of the box. So you can make reinforcements. You can make more little pill body characters that will follow you around and shoot people and pick up weapons. You can make light weapons. You can make heavy weapons. You can make a tank if you put eight and make a full box. Right, so they've got all these different creative things and it's like, but it, but it really drives the gameplay of, well, I gotta go collect these boxes, I gotta build something, I don't know what, oh, well, in Team Buddies, you know exactly what you're gonna get out of the box. You're like, I'm gonna build an RPG. All right, I got an RPG, now I'm gonna run around. You know, it was just like a little fun game and you shot at each other and whoever was the last one standing won. Or there was like a dozen different game modes in Team Buddy actually. But the idea is take that crafting mechanic of collecting boxes, taking them back to your base, using them to, uh, build at least an idea of what weapon, like a light weapon or a heavy weapon, um, combining that with the movement and the uh, camera controls of something like an action platformer, like that, that I'm like, oh, I can see how you can build a game mode around that. Like you can, you can build a game loop around that. Like mm -hmm. I want to go collect this box to build a weapon to kill Reed, right? And we're playing against each other. I'm like, that's a game that we would have played you know, 15 years ago in our basement, you know, yeah. as kids. And I'm like, that sounds fun. So that's kind of like where it came from for us. And of course, as we're thinking about all this, we're, we've already layered on the pigs with lasers thing, right? So yeah. th that was kind of the writing prompt challenge from you that started this whole thing of like, well, if you were gonna make pigs with lasers, what would it be, right? So now we've got this game design, which is based off of several other references and pulling mechanics from several places. We've got what we feel is like a really strong hook in terms of aesthetic and narrative, like you said, Keith. Maybe it doesn't have too much narrative from the outset, but it's got a lot of personality because of that phrase. It's got lasers, that's, man, that's really all you need. Exactly. It's kind of all you need. And you combine those two things, hopefully in a smart and interesting way that makes it appealing to people. So when they pick it up, they're like, oh, this game's really fun and it's goofy and it's cartoony. Yeah, this has potential. That's that's kind of what you want to combine into. You know, in the past week, you've shared with me some of your decisions, design design decisions, game decisions that you're making. And what I'd like to do is share with our audience um, how how you how you know when you have to make these decisions, what goes into them, 
and um, like all of just all of the 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 rationale that you use to come to decisions that you're making. And the first yeah. one, obviously, is that you uh, shown me a a, a, a a little character. animation character animation that you're doing of of a pig, and uh, that led me to I didn't really understand mm. right, and yeah. so when I saw that pig initially, I was like. So this is what, like a rough asset that you're going to use just to build your character controller. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, this is actually the foundation yeah. of how we do this. And so talk about why a pill body yeah. and how you want to manipulate it and, right. and all of those things. So I'll say uh, in terms of development, the character controller and the camera controller are the core of the gameplay. They aren't, I haven't developed them yet. I'm working on them. Um, I've got some, I've got a good place to start. I just got a lot going on so like that's my focus is trying to get the character controller and the camera controller figured out and then get a, char a character uh, a model an animated model working with that setup so that it looks and it feels good even if it doesn't have all the mechanics if we, even if we don't box crafting we don't have shooting we don't have all this stuff if i can get a character in the game moving around jumping on stuff you know uh, back flipping side flipping doing all the things that i know we're going to want the character to be able to do and that, that core set of, of movement feels good, then it's like, okay, this is a solid base to build off of. And then you can build each feature on top of that and make sure that each feature itself feels good. And then hopefully by the end of it, you've built the entire gameplay loop and each individual component of it feels solid and like it all fits together. Um, so kind of what we, what we were doing there is while, while I was working on the programming side of it, Reed and Jeremy kind of, are working on more artistic side of it. They're, they're starting to learn more about Blender and, and how to import and export from Unity. And uh, they're starting to experiment with um, just modeling and VFX and stuff like that. So uh, we did a little bit of research into what would we want the art style for the game to be? What would we want it to look like? What's feasible? And the first, my first thought coming from like a studio background was, well, let's hire a concept artist and then let's, um, let's have a modeler make that character that the guy concepts and then let's have someone rig that model and then let's have someone animate it, right? That's your standard pipeline. And, and that's when we first talked, that's what I thought yes. was, I thought we would be creating all of these different character so, designs, but I think it changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is your typical studio. And that's kind of the difference between a studio, like an established studio and a new studio is an established studio with a lot of experienced people would be able to go through the process of, I'm gonna concept this character, I'm gonna 3D model them, I'm gonna rig them, and I'm gonna animate them, and I'm gonna get them in the game. If you don't have people who are experienced with all those different things, you're gonna to have to pay people for each of those mm -hmm. different things, right? So I reached, I reached out to a concept artist. I was like, hey man, I really like your work. Like, how much would it cost for us to commission a character from you? And he gave me a reasonable estimate, mm -hmm. but we kind of took that estimate and talked about it and thought, we don't have a lot of start, like starting capital. We don't have a ton to work with is this the most efficient way we can use that to go the furthest, you know, with what we've got? And the answer was like, no, I mean, yeah, we'd probably get a really cool character out of it by the end and it would look really good, but it would be really expensive and we're going to need more, right? We, one character isn't the only thing we have in the game. So we kind of thought like, all right, let's go back to the drawing board. Like what can we do? Like what's, what's more feasible uh, through either our own skills or, you know, the, the amount of money that we have to work with. Uh, and we found there's, there, we, we knew this already, but there are a lot of um, 3D model asset stores online. So there's Unity Asset Store, Unreal Asset Store, there's 
Sketchfab, TurboSquid. There's uh, just probably half a dozen different stores where you can go online and just buy the rights to use 3D models from people. People, artists can just make stuff. Um, they can make just models. They can rig their models. They can rig and animate their models and just sell these things on these platforms. Um, we had already taken a good look through these things and pulled out some possibilities. Um, and one of the possibilities we took another look at was um, this pig with a pill-shaped body. Um, and we, we, I remember looking at it the first time and just thinking, well, it's, it's, it's close, but something, there's just something missing with it. Um, and I think we kind of moved on from it. But then we came back to it, we took another look at it, and we were like, wait a second. If we add a mouth to that thing, if we take that model, we get that model for like 20 bucks, I think it was, and then it's already rigged, right? It's fully modeled, already rigged. Uh, if we if we like added to it a little bit, maybe add like a little mouth that you know can be animated, that would actually fit really well. And maybe in the engine, we end up putting a tune shader or something on it and really spicing up the visuals of the textures in the engine uh, in post. Like that could actually stand out and be something really interesting and unique uh, if we tweak it in these specific ways. How, how does so, how does that licensing work though? No fucking clue. <laughs> well, well so, 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 business I, guy. I, I, have, I have a clue, but I'm not 100 percent certain. Okay, I'll say uh, I'll say you buy the right to use these things. Read read through some terms and indicated that if we wanted to use it in a commercial product, we would need to pay a different licensing fee, but it wasn't much more than what we had already paid. Okay, so so it's like a general purpose use license, a GPU license to some degree. I, I, but I, I think the question that in my mind I'm asking is I've seen that pig model. Mm -hmm. You've explained to me how you're going to modify that pig model and what it's going to look like substantially different yeah. than the way it's the, the model that you bought sure. or licensed. Sure. Um, for me, the question becomes, okay, again, as a business guy, I look forward to say, this is going to be successful. Yeah. You know, your job is to create it and to be, keep your, your mind positioned that it might not get any traction at all. My position is, okay, this is going to be successful. And as a result of it being successful, we need to have thought through some things like, let's say it's Angry Birds. How, how, do, you, how do you think that would work if the guy that came up with Ang Angry Birds uh, picked up some model and was like, hey, this is a cool model for a bird. Right. And he puts it in there and it wildly successful. And then he goes, hey, I'm going to merchandise my Angry Birds. Will, and they go, sorry. I will say, so, so I'm like 99% certain that there aren't any licensing concerns with these assets. Because, Probably not. Because they're on stores specifically for that and you buy them. Yeah. I will say there's another good example of a game, an indie game recently called The First Tree. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't played it, but I've seen a lot about it. And I've listened to GDC talks from the developer. Uh, this is a, an artist who made this game on his own in nights and on nights and weekends while supporting his family. And it's just a, a really inspirational story of like, how the hell did this guy make this incredibly successful game on his own? And he went through his process and what he ended up doing is kind of exactly what we're doing where he bought a fox, the main character is a fox. He just, and, and really all you do is walk around in an environment and solve puzzles and explore and stuff like that. And, and it's a really cool game, but he bought this fox, imported it into his project and then used his artistic skills to modify that fox just enough. Like he used some shaders to make it look different. I think he maybe did some texture work on it. 
Um, but at its core, like the rig and the animations of that box are the same right. as what he bought, right? Like all the parts that he didn't, I don't know if he knew how to change them or not, but like he didn't want to change. He just basically used the rig and animation and just, I don't think he even made geometry changes to the, uh, to the Fox, but he ended up making it unique enough that if you see that Fox right next to the original asset, you'd yeah, be like, you'd be like, uh, no, those two things aren't the same thing, but they're in the same pose. And you'd be okay. like, oh, those are probably using the same well, rig. So kind of what we're looking at is taking this pig character that's already rigged. Uh, it's not animated yet, but it is rigged and basically saying, okay, sure. This isn't our custom character. Like we didn't make it. Mm -hmm. How can we make it stand out? How can we take this thing and use make the skill set that we have and make it stand out? So the answer to that is, sorry, Keith, you got something? Well, yeah, I guess so. Like at what point is the asset, does the asset ever become yours? Like right now you're, you're like leasing the asset. And I assume somebody else could come along and use the exact same asset. Uh, so that's kind of like, yeah, that's the downside of like using publicly sold assets is that anyone could come along and use it. So you really have to make sure that you take something and make it unique enough through whatever you're capable of doing so that it doesn't, if someone comes around, along and makes the same game or makes a different game with the same asset, you don't then have a problem with like, oh, well, my character looks exactly like and, and so from a business perspective, even though it's a very clear parallel to what I do in enterprise software mm -hmm. in that there are pieces of technology out there that we license yeah. because it's like, why reinvent the wheel? Somebody already solved that problem. Yeah. So we're building this thing and we want to use this piece that somebody's already done. We license that piece yeah. and we pay some kind of fee for how we're going to use it. And typically it's just some relatively small fee, not like 20 bucks, but yeah. it's a relatively small fee. And we now have license to use that within our product. And there might end up being 200 different software on the products in the market that are using that same piece, yeah. but everything around that looks different, you wouldn't even know they're using the same piece underlying. And that's kind of similar here. You're saying, yes. this is just a piece of clay. I'm just yes. starting from this yes. and I'm buying the clay because it's it, it's already rigged in a certain shape, but now I'm going to carve it and I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to paint it and I'm going to make it totally unique yeah. to me. So the idea here is that we can take this model. That's a very simple model, very simple shapes, very simple setup, modify, one of us can probably figure out the skills to modify the textures mm -hmm. to make other characters, right? So like we had talked about um, uh, in other conversations, we had talked about having a robo pig, right? As one of the things that you can create um, out of the boxes in the game um, to assist you uh, is having little robo pigs that follow you around. Well, really all we would need to do is take this pig asset, change the color of the of the surfaces. So right now it's like a little pink pig, just change it to silver or gray, put draw on the texture, you know, figure out a way to draw on the texture, draw um, plate lines and then rivets yeah. and then make the eyes green. And suddenly you've got like the same pig, but now he's a robo pig, right? Well, right. because you've changed his texture and that's, Look, and texture changes are pretty simple to make. Um, you can obviously get really in depth with texture work, but, but the, what I'm saying is we don't need to, to do that to hit this style. Would you change his animation so that he was so, more robot-y? But we could, right, so okay. we could, right? That's the thing, um, but we don't have to. That's like a detail. Right. So the idea is that this character runs a humanoid rig, um, which means he just has the bones that run all throughout his body that let him bend certain parts of his body to do certain things, which lets animators then take each part of his body and pose them into keyframes 
and then a collection of keyframes is an animation, right? Yeah. So the idea is that we can take this fully rigged character, figure out a source for animations, whether that's us making the animations ourselves or finding open source animations on, online or working with another developer who's willing to you know, help us out with animation and getting a basic walk cycle, a basic run cycle, basic jump, eventually a double jump, a flip, a side jump, a flip. And once we get all the basic movement animations in there, looking good, feeling good, that's where we're at. That, that's the point that I was talking about earlier. Then we're at a point where we have a character in a scene, even if it's just a flat plane with cubes, right? But he's able to run around it. He's able to jump up on things, jump around, double jump, and it feels good. We have the physics of it feeling good. We have the movement feeling good. We have just the general feel of the game character controller feeling good and looking good because you've got a character in there. It's got hopefully your own little art style flair. It's got um, maybe some post-processing shader effects on it. Um, and then it's got, um, you know, these animations that hopefully are looking pretty smooth and blending pretty well, pretty well together. And at that point, it's like, okay, look at this cool thing. And you put that on the internet and people are going to go, oh, look at that. That's a pretty slick looking project. Mm -hmm. What is it, right? And at that point, you can start adding mechanics week to week to week, and suddenly that's when you've got more interesting things to show, and you've got you know things happening. Well, in the podcast, as you move forward, these things. Right now, we're talking to a lot of them because you're trying to write the character controller and stuff. But very shortly, these will move more from from open discussion to more focused on things that are accomplished. By the time we actually have viewers. Yeah. And subscribers, it'll be too late, most likely. Right. But I just want to point out if anybody is seeing this podcast, and uh, I know that I just saw Reed was in the process of getting the Lizard Sniffer Studios YouTube channel up where these will be hosted at. Yeah. But as soon as uh, people are able to see these, and if you're watching and you go, hey, I'm a freaking animator and I can animate shit, and that'd be, yeah. this sounds like you guys are kind of cool and I'd like to work with you. Yeah, come join reach it. out, reach yeah, out because up. if it's if if they haven't, yeah. um, you know, if, if his team hasn't yet conquered a certain thing, mm -hmm. you never know when there might be somebody out there that's a shit for sure. Pigs with freaking lasers, absolutely for sure. But I think there's a lot of um, I wanted to touch on some of the other reasons we went with this character. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to 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 doing kind of it, doing it the way we're doing it. At least we're hoping there are going to be a lot of benefits of it. We we don't know for sure yet. But um, A, the character is very simple. It's a pill-shaped character. And um, just so people have a good idea of kind of what we're Let's starting. The very first the very, starting yeah, point. Like where what, basically at. what yeah. we bought off the internet. Um, so it's this pig character that's a very simple shape, meaning that if Jeremy or Reed wanted to recreate it, modify it, do anything to it, you know, it's not super complex in terms of 3D modeling. So like they could, they could definitely like figure that out um, and, learn, and learn to do that. Um, it, it's also set up in a way that we could remove the ears because uh, right now it's got two ears up here we can remove the ears change the textures and suddenly you've got a different type of character right we can take that and we can have jeremy or reed model of cowboy hat instead of ears and suddenly you've got a farmer right and then you mm -hmm. texture a plaid shirt and overalls and well then you've got a farmer right um, we, the current plan is to add a mouth onto the character, like a Wallace and Gromit style mouth. Um, Jeremy actually, I think threw a mock-up of that. I'm not sure if he threw it in the discord or if he threw it to me personally, but him and Reed have been working on that and it looks you showed awesome. <laughs> you showed like that's exact, that's the thing that was missing. When we first saw the character, we were like, this is really good, but something's missing. 
we came back to him and we were like, it needs a mouth. It needs a Wallace and Gromit style clay, you know, claymation mouth that animates with whatever you're doing and makes silly, funny expressions. That's going to really take this character to the next level. So adding that, being able to modify the attachments and whatever else is on it to make new characters um, means that we don't have to change the rig. We don't have to change the set of animations. All we have to do is take this model, retexture it, and, and it'll work the same way as a pig, right? So we take the farmer and he can run the same running animation as the pig because it's got the same rig. The problem with, like you mentioned, Keith, doing a lot of custom characters is like, that's only feasible when you have a motion capture suit or a full team of animators in, in a full pipeline stack where you're able to go, all right, concept me out these 10 characters who are going to be in the game, right? Model all these characters with specific models. One character might be really big and muscular. One character might be a child, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of variation in the model. Then every single one of those characters is going to need to be basically customly rigged, right? Or, or have a custom rig or a variation of the rig male to female walk differently, right? Mm. So you're going to need to have a male rig and a female rig. Like that's about as basic as you can get it. But then you're probably also going to need like a big male rig and a small male rig and like all these different variations, which really blows up your scope because then you really need someone who knows how to rig and animate. Mm. Um, And you really need animations that are going to make sense for that character. So then at that point, you're adding scope and complexity in, ter- in the whole pipeline just to create, you know, five, ca- five characters, right? And it's like, is that we've got, we've only got so many resources. Does it make sense to, is it super important for all of these characters to be totally super unique. unique and have their own custom setups? So when we saw this pill character, we were like, why not make every single character a pill character with like, a goofy mouth and we can change the different mouth. Like the farmer can have three teeth and the alien can, you know, have fangs or whatever creative shit that we want to put in it, but they all fit this custom rig, this custom style. It's, it's, it's easier workload for us. It's more sustainable for our team. And then also it's an homage back to team buddies, which also used pill style characters. That's kind of what sealed it for us is like, we saw this character and we were like, Ooh, we see how we can work with this thing. And then we kind of took a look back and we're like, dude, Team Buddies, this looks exactly like Team Buddies. Not exactly like Team Buddies, but it looks like an evolution of Team Buddies, right? Because Team Buddies was little pill dudes with little arms and it was just goofy little cartoon fun. Uh, and then, you know, there have also been other games recently, most notably Fall Guys, um, that have gone viral with these pill body style characters. So it's like you've got something that's already popular in the public eye. Um, something that people are familiar with and they can wrap their head around from a moment from the moment they see it. You've got an homage back to the original source material that we're pulling some of the mechanics from. Mm -hmm. And then it also on the third hand makes sense for us to work with assets that are set up like this. Cool. So yeah, that was kind of just like why we ended up going with that character as a basis and kind of what we plan on doing with it um, and why we think it's a good fit in terms of art style. Mm -hmm. Um, I, what I what I like hearing as the the business guy is, mm-hmm. and what I hope our viewers hear is, the there's so many ways as you talked about in the first episode to be cautious to not break the bank, and and so some of your design decisions you can actually justify them into being a great decision for what you want to do, while reducing scope, yeah. reducing complexity, and ultimately reducing 
overall cost yeah. uh, going forward, which yeah. is awesome. And it makes me actually, with once you showed kind of the pill thing to me and kind of talked to me a little bit more about it, I also thought about just like, I mean, you see it now, I'm sure there's a, there's gotta be a minions game, right? There's gotta be a, the Lego game. Those things are similar, right? And they're, they're kind of like 2D-ish, not 2D, 3D-ish. Yeah. What, what's the word you, you know, low poly? I don't know yeah. what word you're using, to, but but they're um, just very simplistic, yeah. cylinder-ish, well, ish you mean the, the Lego games? Yeah. Yeah, I would say those Lego characters are actually probably higher poly than they first appear. Just they're very high quality models, but they do run the same rig, right? Like right. you're saying, right. because they're all the same body, right? right? It's just different textures. Different, or yeah. sometimes there's more complex Lego characters and that's a different story, sure, but, sure, but sure. it's also the Lego games and they make insane amounts of money and they're very popular. So like, they yeah. have the money to be able to do custom characters. But, you know, even in studios I've worked at in the past, the concern is always like, can we be more efficient with this? Like, how many rigs do we really need? And if you're working on a huge open world RPG style game, you might need a lot of different rigs because yeah. you're going to need a lot of different creatures, a lot of different characters, a lot of different monsters to make that environment feel realistic if everyone's moving the same way in that environment it's <laughs> quickly going to start to show you know if a zombie is moving the same way as a woman in the town right right um but if if we're trying to build a game with a very concise and constrained scope like we are or at least i'm trying to make it that way at the beginning because i know if we build too much scope we won't be able to execute on it it just it just makes sense to get as much mileage out of a single rig as possible because none of us are animators, none of us are riggers, right? Mm -hmm. So we can learn those skills, right? Uh, I'm excited to start learning more about that about that pipeline and being able to do more of that. But it doesn't make sense for us to plan and design a game that has like ten different character types in it when right. we can't make rigs. So like it, it makes a lot more sense for us to take one rig that someone's already created that we know works, modify it maybe in little ways so that we can learn how to work with it, but use that as a basis for everything and build a world in a game around the idea that most of these characters are going to be running the same rig mm -hmm. and using mostly the same animation set. Now there could be tweaks. Once we get down to, you know, prototype V2 or V3, and we're making specific art tweaks and maybe we have a better handle on how some of these things work, we can then go look at the RoboPig and say, oh, let's make a custom walking animation for the RoboPig that's a little more, you know, yeah, janky yeah, yeah. and robotic. And that's the kind of detail that even though we are creating a custom animation for that thing, we're not recreating the character design or the rig or anything. We're just doing different keyframes right. that hopefully make, give it a little more personality. Um, did we already talk about the um, the animation that was on Discord? Like yeah, I can I can I can talk about that next. Um, Jeremy was able to post in the Discord, uh, our private development Discord, uh, earlier this week. He posted uh, just a preview of um, the pig character crouch crouch walking. He basically pulled a crouch walk animation off of a website called Mixamo. Uh, and applied it to the rig that the character is running and played the animation and a little scene in Blender. And I think he just rendered out that little scene just to give us an idea of like, all right, what does this character look like when it's running an animation and moving? It looked awesome, right? So like we Sneaker's were all- Sneaker's gonna sneak. Right, sneaky gonna sneak. We're not gonna have 
crouch walking in our game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was cool to just look at it moving uh, like an actual character. Um, so kind of my first thought was like, all right, well, that's exciting. We just need to figure out a run, a walk, and a jump. Once we get those three things in there, then we can add another one, then we can add another one, and we can make sure all these things are looking and feeling good. I will say that uh, Jeremy was looking at Mixamo, and I'm all for using Mixamo if we can. Mixamo is basically a free website. It's a website where people can post 3D models, um, and all of the 3D models run the same rig, the same humanoid rig, uh, which is the setup of bones uh, and joints on the character. And then it's also a separate search base for animations. It's basically open source. They say, come use these in, our, in your game. There's probably hundreds of different animations and characters that you can choose from. Basically choose character, choose an animation, and then it shows you on the website that character using that animation. You hit download. You can say, I want to download the 3D model with these animations. And then you can download that as an FBX file that you can then import into your project. And then you have a character running around with that animation, right? Yeah. Um, so his thing, his idea was, I'm going to go take a walk and a run and a jump from there. Um, I mean, I'm all for doing that as like a exploratory prototype type of thing, but I, I will say that I already did that, um, earlier on in our first proof of concept version of the project. I, I went on a whole kind of exploratory binge on how we were going to get a character and how we we're going to animate it and get it into unity working with what I was trying to develop. And I was able to get a character running around, jumping and shooting but it was kind of like stiff animations and didn't have a lot of personality to it. And uh, it definitely looked like it was built for more of like a- Shooter. Yeah, like a more realistic style shooter. So my thought was like, that's a good place to start, but we should try, I think, to either edit those keyframes to be a little more cartoony Mm -hmm. uh, and fit, definitely fit some of the specific mechanics that we're gonna have like backflipping double jumping, side jumping, that's not going to be on Mixamo. Um, Some of the ways that we're going to want the character to hold the gun and shoot are not going to be on Mixamo, right? So we're going to need some... Clothes are really going to screw Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, definitely. But um, so yeah, that's kind of like where my head is at with the animation is we're probably going to have to edit some of those things ourselves to to add enough personality and get the stuff that we really want out of it. But I mean, that's fine. Um, I'm interested in learning animation. It's weird. I never thought of myself as an artistic person. I tried to be artistic for a little bit in college because I was like, I knew back then when I was studying game design, I was like, art is the thing that's holding me back. I can't do game art because I'm not artistic. I can't draw, I can't sketch, um, but I can make a game. I just can't make the art. But mm-hmm. when you have those that disconnect, then you can't make a game by yourself you don't know how to do the art so you have to link up with someone and I didn't like the idea of that so I was like I'm just gonna learn how to do the art myself I tried that I failed at it miserably <laughs> um I'm just not an artist and since then my brain has just like shut down any idea of working with like an art pipeline like I'm bad at 3d modeling I'm bad at so because I'm bad at drawing and I'm bad at 3d modeling I'm bad at pixel art and all this different stuff I was like anything that has to do with the art side of the pipeline I'm just gonna find someone else to help me with as I've started to research some of these things and learn more about the ins and outs of game development, I've realized, oh, there's this whole area of animation and rigging, which is really more technical because it's all done in software. Like you take a 3D model that someone else sculpted and textured mm-hmm. and created, and then you add bones and joints to it and you, you know, 
edit the you edit the properties of those bones and joints and skin weights and how things are supposed to react to physics and stuff like that. That's a lot of math and that's a lot of um, just knowing how the software works to be able to efficiently set up rigs like that. And then that's also a lot of taking that rig and posing it in different like that's just dragging something right. in a in an editor and capturing a keyframe and doing that 40 times to make a smooth animation. Now, obviously skilled animators are like very artistic and creative and they know how to make a specific movement flow well and, and get the right type of um, kind of sense of movement out of it. And that's where it becomes more of a creative aspect, but it's not like a drawing or like a yeah. hard art skill. So now I've become more interested in like, oh, I bet I could learn to do that. Like I may not be good at drawing, but I could probably learn to like set up some cool keyframes and like, well, figure out a way to interpolate between them and make good animations. Like that seems like something, cause I'm good with software. That seems like something I could do. Um, so it's really the difference between character design, which is the artist right. part of, you know, Keith saying, here's the story of this character and how mm -hmm. this character works. And then it's an artist, a real artist. Right rendering it and saying here's you know comic book artist here's your character sure after that it becomes much more technical and mm -hmm. software driven to yeah. simply make that 2d art into yeah. a 3d character i guess the world of, of the, the tech side of it extended just a little bit further than i realized uh -huh. um to, it extended to include rigging and animation um, I realized that I can probably do that. If somebody gets me a 3D model, I, I want to be the guy that if somebody gets me a 3D model, I can take that 3D model and get it into a game moving and working and looking for, and cool. Um, so I'm excited, excited to start um, figuring out animation and rigging. But I know um, Jeremy and Reed are also looking into that too. They've also got a, a big interest in that. So I'm letting them take a stab at that and just seeing what they're able to learn and what they're interested in and then because yeah, I've still got to focus on the character controller and, and basically just making sure all of this works with just a little capsule in the engine and the camera. And once all that works, then we can say, all right, guys, like, um, do we have like a walk, run, jump cycle? Uh, if not, what's our plan to get that done? And then we can figure out how we're going to get that done. And then, you know, I think once we have a character in there with basic movements looking good, then it's like, all right, time to jumpstart this. We know how we're going to get from point A to point B on some of the core things in the game. So like, let's start adding features week to week. And that's, I think, we, when we can come onto these and hopefully have footage and screenshots and more references and things to talk about um, later on. But yeah. Cool. And, and hopefully you know, the objective would be each one of those each week to, again, just like we did here, talk about the decisions you made, why you made them, but have more visual content to right. be able to yeah. show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That way they don't have to look at all our ugly faces. I mean, speak for yourself. Hey, man. All right. Keith, you got any other questions you want to bat around today or where we at? Uh, no, you know, I think, I think we've, we've hit uh, most of all of the basic questions. I mean, obviously I could ask like a thousand more questions about, about basic design that would probably maybe bore some people but um nope that's all i got for now i can come up with more stuff we got like a hundred what is that behind you on your background oh what's up my background here that's the uh the original tardis um core here for time travel oh okay got it. that's a good that's a good reference for what we're going for oh yeah <laughs> um yeah, i watch sci-fi so that's my basis for uh 
recreation of a lot of the models. I mean, not that I do the 3D modeling, but I. Yeah. Well, the idea is Logan, Logan has a table that's made out of the original metal rig skeleton of the transporter uh, from the, tra the Star Trek transporter room. Uh, so I just happened to have met a lady whose husband was the uh, prop master for all the Star Trek stuff, and he passed away. And we, my wife and I, helped her out with some stuff, and she gave us some old things. And one of the things was this crappy-looking metal frame, and I'm like, "What is this? Like, why would I want this?" And she's like, "Oh, that's the original frame that my husband built for the Star Trek transporter room console, and he ended up building it as a reusable thing that they would." you know, create all the artistic part on top of it and they put it on top of this rig, right? So for different versions of Star Trek and different shows and stuff. So it's just, it's really very similar to what you're talking about here. It's a rig yeah. and it got used for a lot of different things. And, and you now have that as a table. It's my desk now. <laughs> it's your desk. It's my desk. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, I think next week, I, I probably won't have the character controller done next week but I hope to have a more complete design document done. So maybe next week we can run through kind of an early version of the design document and have some visual references of this is what I mean when I talk about this mechanic and that mechanic. Cool. What will be the And we can talk about what a design document is because some of us have no idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a design document is just like a Bible of like, this is how the game's gonna work. This is everything that's gonna be in it. Kind of, these are how all the things are gonna interact. I'm cool. not gonna follow any specific format. I'm just gonna find one and brainstorm, brainstorm on it, so. All right, cool. Well, um, again, hit the like and sub subscribe button if you uh, enjoyed this and please share. Uh, we'd love to get some followers and some folks watching because I do think that uh, over the next three, four, five weeks, this is gonna get kind of really interesting with a lot of good content for those people that are trying to develop indie games. What's that? Yeah, it's interesting now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Over and out. Pigs with lasers. Pigs with lasers. Lasers. lasers.